Hi there. How's it going? I'm ready to yell. I'm ready to stand on tables. I'm ready to cause a scene. That's I'm fair. Ready. That uh kind of fits into the topic we're talking about now. How are you? I am great. I am drinking some wine. Wine. Oh yeah. <laughs> Bring us back to our roots, baby. Yeah, I'm just ready to talk about some bullshit history that women have to have to live through and partially still are. Well, most definitely still are, but yeah. we'll get to- <laughs> I'm Stephanie and I'm Elena. And this is Bet You Wish This Was an Art Podcast. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. It's not that you said it wrong. It's just that it was very muffled on my end because That's I'm fussing with things and it was very funny. <laughs> All I heard was, mm, and I was like, yep, that's it. That's her. <laughs> that's a name. That's a name. That's a girl. That's my whole world right there. <laughs> I'm so ready. I'm so excited. Elena, sometimes you're like, let's do article reviews. And I'm like, I didn't even do them for my graduate programs but uh go off i guess (laughs) and then we're presented with really great articles because we can talk about literally whatever the fuck we want because it's our podcast yeah (laughs) we are the gods of our own domain (laughs) and you present me with things like like today's episode topic and i get to cry about uh everything honestly that's uh that's accurate way to describe the the upcoming episode indeed <laughs> like what if we got like what if we got griselda on our podcast i'm just saying oh like my god i would die <laughs> i would die <laughs> it's right up our alley it's like it's it's all the things we could talk about it's all the things we're gonna do it's all the things that we wish to accomplish it's all the things that i will one day ride into battle discussing and screaming <laughs> at the top of my lungs as i ram sword and shield into the enemy. Lovely. Elena, what are we talking about today? We're talking about an article by Griselda Pollock. Uh, it's actually a movie chapter, uh, movie, a book chapter. Same. <laughs> Same thing. It's from her book that was published first in 1988. The book is called Vision and Difference, Feminism, Femininity, and Histories of Art. And this particular chapter is chapter three. And it's called Modernity and the Spaces of Femininity. This uh, article can be found online, so you guys can give it a read if you want. Uh, It's going to be also it's going to be linked in our sources on our website, so check it out for sure. And it's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be a lot of um, a lot of yelling. It's going to be a lot of yelling. They're very important topics. Um, Griselda is one of those quintessential bedrocks of modern art history discussion. She is an influential scholar in modern and avant-garde art. She focuses in postmodern and contemporary art, and she's been a major influence in feminist theory, feminist art history, and gender studies. She's a very cool person. (laughs) She's also a fellow Vincent van Gogh lover. She's writing a book about him now. So when that comes out, we'll just have to do another Van Gogh episode. Oh no. I mean, oh no. Oh oh, 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 no. (laughs) Oh no. How will we ever? (laughs) (laughs) It'll be great. I'm very excited. If you haven't had the chance, you should definitely check out the 2019 lecture, Why Do We Still Love Vincent by Griselda Pollock. It is beautiful. It is lovely indeed. You know, it's not lovely and beautiful and 
uh, makes me want to scream, Elena? Men? Men. <laughs> Not men, but Not men, but society. But the history of men. We live in a society. <laughs> we live in a society. Defined, created. We, we live in a society defined, created, and enjoyed by heterosexual white European men. And it just makes me want to scream. That's fair. Because yeah. it makes no sense. <laughs> and, it, and it makes sense, obvious. Uh, if, if we're looking at it from the context of, like, where did we come from? Where did we go? Look at what we came from, Cotton Eye Joe. There's a lot of things that make sense. And I think this article is, is very efficient and very um, mindful of how to break down this larger topic by making audiences look at the, the detail and the, um, the nuance of these issues. It's also a good con- continuation and like more specified version of uh, Linda Nochlin's Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists? Yeah, without also being like gross about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's in the same vein of argument, and it kind of expands on this one specific thing, but also a thing that still affects us to this day, which is the spaces that we live in and how they are still like governed by this masculine, highly p- patriarchal outlook, essentially. Let's get into it. So this article focuses on two things largely one is defining the the nuance the the place making like the placeholders of modernity in the mm-hmm. context of 1880s france yeah and this evolution of a new paris and how the breakdowns of what was defined as modern by this time period, by the the rise of the avant-garde, the rise of capitalism, the rise of Paris as a bourgeois city, uh, and as a um, in a modern context. There's going to be the word modern so many times. If you'd like to make this a drinking game, <sighs> don't go for it. <laughs> You'll die. Do it, coward. Um, but it's that. When you look at it from the word modern, but also Pollock looks at this article as a definition of how female artists or women artists at the time defined their role in society differently than how male artists defined their role in society and how these roles also had specific spaces that could be occupied. Yeah, and they, it was it wasn't like they themselves were defining these spaces or roles, but it was something that was like an unspoken rule in society. And essentially what she really gets into is how men were free to walk around to go to all these places like this is we're talking about the time of late 19th century early 20th century, some somewhere in that vein. And how, like, these impressionists were able to walk around, go to cafes, restaurants, all of these uh, places dominated by mostly men uh, and otherwise courtesans. 
And women who were, quote, respectable were not really allowed in these spaces. What, and you, like, it wasn't like you were forbidden to go in there, but if you do go in there, your reputation is ruined forever. Yeah. And that's really what, uh, Griselda talks about in this chapter. I'm going to make the caveat here because I think while I was reading this article, it, it clicked in my head. Uh, something that was really successful about a show like Bridgerton. Yeah. If that makes sense. I don't know if you finished watching it. I didn't. I've seen four episodes. <laughs> very good. But like in that first, in that first context of establishing the world, it's very female oriented. Yes. Because you're following society, but like the struggles of what it means to be in society and to be perceived by society for society as a socialite and how it could ultimately make or break your entire reputation based on how people perceive you, not yeah. even who you are as a person, but based on how you're perceived. Indeed. I think Bridgerton has been one of the more recent and successful interpretations of what it means to be like raised your entire life to believe one thing. And then the minute, the minute that you are actually put out into the world, you start to realize that maybe you haven't actually been prepared for the world at all, <laughs> like at all. And <laughs> people will take advantage of that. Yeah. And people who might not even necessarily be interested in harming you, but you are an object meant to be perceived. And what Pollock investigates in the, in this article and in this, um, in this book specifically and in this chapter, we look at how we're looking at how in the time of the Impressionists, right, in this 18th, 19th century, early 20th century, modernity mm -hmm. is presented as a sense of being like up to date, where it is a matter of representation. It's a matter of creating, it's myth building, right? For sure, yeah. It's a brand new Paris, literally a brand new Paris, because yeah. everything's been rebuilt and uh, redefined and streets have been wider and this, that, the other thing. Um, because you want to be perceived as a city of recreation and leisure and pleasure where you can enjoy nature, but you can also enjoy the city. You can have your sin and you can also have your family. But only if you're a man. Well, hold on now. <laughs> Let's not give the whole gun away because women are there too, right, Elena? You can't have a society without the, like, the, the perceived notion of womanhood, which, you know, and, and unfortunate, well, very similarly to Linda Nochlin, um, this kind of focuses on a very straight and heteronormative perception. This article kind of dabbles at like looking outside of heteronormative, like heteronormativity. Well, but these were written in the eighties. Yeah. So, well, critical race theory, and then also like more nuanced ways to talk about sexuality and gender and the fluidity of needs. <laughs> Any hooselbees. If we're going to yeah. think about a city of sex and art and pleasure and nature and individuality, it's it's exactly right. This was a city made for men by men. Yes. And specifically, straight, white, wealthy European yep. men. Yep. 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 Which, like, makes sense 
because that's also the same people who are writing history. That's also the same people who are governing. That's also the same people who are like doing everything, controlling our lives, creating the public space, creating the public domain. Um, And not to say that they all agree with the same thing. I think about it in the sense of like inheritance. You don't really have control in what you inherit because it was made by someone else. But like, there does get to a point in which you still benefit from what you inherit, regardless of whether or not that you had any sort of influence on it. Which unfortunately also comes with the double-edged sword of if you are raised in a society, we live in a society, if you're raised in a society that says that you, as a woman, should only be with the person whomst you marry, or you ruin your own reputation, then it makes for a very difficult situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And and Pollock gets really into it, and, and I think we will too, just because that's kind of what I've sunken my teeth into. It's this perception of who the individual is in a modern interpretation of France, given by historians of the time, artists of the time, and also people responding and reacting to what is defined as modernity in an art historical context defines the individual by the masculine. Yeah. And how that there are individual women, sure, but they're largely defined by what puts them in common with their masculine counterparts more so than with their feminine counterparts. Yeah. This article focuses specifically on on two... mm, she uses two prominent female artists at the time, or yeah. artists who were also women, Berthe Marisot and Mary Cassatt, who mm-hmm. are, you know, are who we think of if we think of impressionistic, you know, uh, impressionistic female artists of the time. Yes. There but are when the- you compare, yeah? No, I was just going to say, there are the two names that come to mind immediately when you think of women impressionists. But... Do they come to mind in the same way that Manet or Degas do? <sighs> Here <No>. we go. <laughs> <laughs> and what was really interesting was the breakdown of the themes and visions of the article in like visual terms. Pollock does a really good job of looking at the way that uh, Alfred H. Barr defines the way that modern art history has been laid out. Um, there's there's a very famous, and maybe we'll have it in the notes and somewhere. Um, there's a very famous schematic, right, mm-hmm. where art historian and uh, curator Alfred H. Barr for the MoMA, New York, problematic, 1936, mm-hmm. creates this like title artist influence. And it's, it's, it's probably something that, um, can be readily seen and kind of mimicked over and over again in other galleries. And I've seen it before for modern, like contemporary, um, exhibitions where you have the artist, the movement, well, the artist that defined a movement and then how that influenced a later movement and how that influenced a later movement until you get to where we are now. Yeah. And the problem with that. <laughs> especially in Barr's catalog, is how it's largely men, if not exclusively men. Yeah. And how 
it implies that the art movements of the late 19th, early 20th century were chronological. And I think modern art history, uh, contemporary art history also mimics that a lot. Um, how I was taught art history was that this movement happened, followed by this movement, followed by this movement, followed by this movement, until here we are. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not... <laughs> but, that's but, not this... That's not... But you missed... It. Excuse <laughs> <laughs> And how some movements end abruptly in one place, but realistically, they, they haven't. Like, we talked about it. We talked about that in Art Nouveau. I don't know why I'm so heated about it. <laughs> we talked about it in Art Nouveau, where... um People say that it just ended, but in reality, it didn't just end. No. <laughs> Other things took the precipice, like, took precedent, and then it's it It's like fell. trends, you know? Trends People come and go, wearing- but they always come back. Mostly because they never went away in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyways, <laughs> so uh, Pollock makes the point to say that the the way that we have been taught art history is is very um is skewed very flat. to one side. <laughs> yeah. Very flat and very skewed. Which then makes a problem when you try to talk about nuanced things, the perceived notion of gender and sexuality in the evolution of modern art. Yeah. Which woof. <laughs> woof indeed. Uh when someone amongst you writes your thesis on this, please link us. Because <laughs> I can't wait to read it. Jesus Christ. Should uh, that's kind of, this is this has been a 20 minute framework for the article. You're yeah. welcome. Yeah. <laughs> let's get well, into it. Let's get into it. <laughs> well. 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 What Pollock really tries uh, or what what she really touches on is this these two types of women present in society. And that's not saying that these are the only types of women and these are the types that we should put them under or anything like that but that's how the society perceives the woman she's either the whore or the virgin and we've talked about this before uh we've talked about yeah we've talked about the crow and the maiden and the nude and the naked and this last one kind of brings me to this other book that I've been rereading recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Ways of Seeing by John Berger. It's one of the classic art historical books. And in it, he talks about how women are perceived and how they perceive themselves and how there's a surveyor and a surveyed. So a man and a woman. That's how, at least in this time. And there's a great quote about this nude and naked thing specifically that kind of really encompasses everything that this image of women is trying or was was saying at the time. And I quote, To be naked is to be oneself. To be nude is to be seen naked by others and yet not recognized for oneself. A naked body has to be seen as an object in order to become a nude. The the sight of it as an object stimulates the use of it as an object. Nakedness (laughs) reveals itself. Nudity is placed on display. 
To be naked is to be without disguise. To be on display is to have the surface of one's own skin, the hairs of one's own body, turned into a disguise, which in that situation can never be discarded. The nude is condemned to never being naked. Nudity is a form of dress. That's kind of it. It's really, it's really how men perceive women at the time. Nude, nudes <laughs> at the well, time. Currently, well, it's well. how society views women. Yes, I think I think it really does tie back into like the concept of how women perceive themselves. Mm-hmm. There, you maintain the status quo that you are taught. And if you were taught that in order to be respected, you must behave a certain way, then you will also judge others who are not behaving the way that you were told to behave. Yes. It's a very common knee-jerk reaction. It's to help reinforce the lessons that you were taught growing up. Uh, I can say another quote that's really that really tops with this. <laughs> Men act and women appear. Men look at women. Women watch themselves being looked at. This determines not only most relations between men and women, but also the relation of women to themselves. The surveyor of woman is herself in her the surveyor of woman and herself is male, the surveyed female. Thus she turns herself into an object, and most particularly an object of vision, a sight. End quote. Uh, and I'd like to reinforce that actually with um Jumping ahead just a little bit in our article discussion of the painter of the modern life. Yes. Where um, in 1863, Charles Baudelaire uh, published in a public, like at a really famous publication at the time, uh, Le Figaro, um, an essay that was entitled The Painter of Modern Life. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at how this Parisian concept of the flaneur which mm-hmm. we'll define a little bit here, but talk about later. Uh, the Flenner being the impartial witness, the private voyeur or viewer of um, public space yeah. as artist. And how the artist and the flaneur can be one in the same cough as a man. <laughs> um, where... Um, in the text of Baudelaire, it's the flaneur is the modern artist, while at the same time, we're also looking at how Paris is straight, uh, structured. But while Baudelaire focuses on the ideal artist being someone who can be side of this coin, where, mm-hmm. quote, and this is from Pollock, yeah. quote, women did not enjoy the freedom of incognito in the crowd. There was never, they were never positioned as the normal occupants of the public realm. They did not have the right to look, to stare, scrutinize, or watch. Mm. As the Baudelarian text goes on to show, women do not look. They are positioned as the object of the flaneur's gaze. And this is the quote from uh, Baudelaire continuing the painter of modern life. Quote, women is for the artist in general far more than just the female of man. Rather, she is divinity as star, a glittering conglomeration of all the graces of nature condensed into a single Uh, being. 
an object of keenest admiration and curiosity that the picture of life can offer its contemplator. She is an idol, stupid perhaps, but dazzling and bewitching. Everything that adorns women that serves to show off her body, everything that adorns women that serves to show off her beauty is part of herself. No doubt women is sometimes a light, a glance, an invitation to happiness. Sometimes she is just a word. Manic Pixie Dream Girls? Cause fucking same. <laughs> you know what I love? <laughs> I love being called a star, a glittering conglomeration of all the graces of nature, nature condensed to a single being. I love that compliment. It's and, so and amazing. At first blush, you might look at that and be like, but he's complimenting women oh what are you getting angry about it's like is he though or has he fetishized the concept of femininity to the point in which it is now an object to be adored rather than something to respect it's the fact that every time a man paints a woman in these times you see this sort of the sort of woman that you don't see in society per se because she is this idol she is this untouchable being that does not exist that cannot exist because women are people god damn it but in in the context of let's say um let's say renoir right let's say let's Fuck say renoir. renoir let's say renoir in the first outing, or let's compare La Loge by Renoir, 1874, to Cassatt, La Loge, 1882. It's it's two figures sitting in this theater, and both of them kind of facing the the audience, or the viewer of the painting. But in Renoir's version, the woman, who is the main figure in this piece, despite having a male counterpart with her, mm-hmm. is like enthusiastic and and just overflowing with all of this excitement that she forgets herself for a moment and so she is just ready to watch and to be watched but she doesn't care because she's just so enamored by the whole situation of being at the theater that she doesn't care that her uh, associate with her isn't paying attention to her whereas in Cassatt's La Loge you have two female figures, young, very pretty, but very structured, very composed, almost oppressively so. And and everything that they're doing, from the way that one girl is holding a fan to the other way that another girl is holding her flowers, demonstrates that they understand that they're being watched. They have not allowed themselves to get caught up in the moment of being overwhelmed and excited and therefore over the balcony as they're watching. No, no. They understand that they're as much of the performance as their surroundings are. And that if they wish to be perceived as feminine, pretty things, they must act that way. They look very anxious. (laughs) They look very um, rehearsed. And, they look yeah. like this is something that they've been practicing and something that was expected of them to practice. And I don't know if you were raised the same way, but like I grew up in a household where if we went out into public, whether attended or not, we were told that our behavior reflects back on our family. 
So we can't act up because if if we did, that would reflect poorly on our family. Yeah. Which is funny because if you think about it that way, it means that as child and later as young woman, you do not have autonomy of yourself. You do not have authority over your own individuality. My perceived notion of existing in this world versus, say, my twin brother's notion of existing in this world are very different because I am expected to always represent the family, whereas my twin is expected to represent the individual himself. Uh, it just goes to show the world we live in. And a lot of this comes back to social spaces, which I think is a point of this article that is so interesting. Because if you look at culturally, we do see this huge divide between what is public and what is private. And how in domestic private spaces, it seems to be globally written off as a woman's space. Yeah. Versus public spaces, which seem to constantly revolve around this notion of masculine spaces, male spaces, something that the men go out into and then come home from. But that if a woman must enter it, she must do so with chaperone. She must do so with a um, lady maid. And uh, yeah. Yeah. She can't There's, go alone. She shouldn't go alone because it's dangerous. And it's like, yes. but why is it dangerous? And it's for this reason and this reason exactly. You are not perceived as a person. You are perceived as an object to be taken or to be criticized. Yes. Whereas in private spaces, you are allowed to be yourself. That's why Pollock makes the argument of uh, this the spaces in general. Yes. Not only locations where women are not allowed to go to, but also these locations that they represent in their works, like Mary Cassatt and uh, Bertha Morrisell. They both, most of the time, they draw their drawings uh, depict dining rooms, drawing rooms, bedrooms, private spaces in general. But bedrooms, not necessarily in the context of like a no, sexual. No, never, never. No, you. How dare it would you be assume. like a dressing room somewhere where of you're course. in the process of becoming presentable to the or to looking the, in the mirror. Yes, observing yes. oneself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And. This 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 is largely because the public domain does not belong to women. Right. This is because yeah. And and these are two middle class women. So they understand like what is perceived as their space versus what is perceived as not their space. And they also understand like you don't see them going it's not that they couldn't make a brothel scene. They absolutely could. Olympia could have been painted by a woman. But but the immediate the immediate backlash that could have been taken from something so simple as entering the same spaces that bourgeoisie men enter. Yeah. Reminds us that the delegation of what is acceptable for I mean, and these are wealthy women. These are wealthy, educated women who are very successful in their own ways, but they're only allowed to be successful because they are operating within the context of what is defined as their space. 
fine, be a woman, be an artist, but do not try to make a point. Yeah, do not Even cross if- into the realm of the men. Um, and Do not and get it, in so- their way. <laughs> and it, it really does tie into that, where it's like, if you look at what... Um, Let's let's talk about public spaces, right? And and <laughs> let's talk about public spaces. When you see painters like Degas, like Renoir, like Cassatt, like Manet, when they paint ladies at theaters or at parks, they're representing the debutante, the young woman, the mother, the caretaker, children. You're 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 creating a wholesome narrative, but <laughs> however, that is where we kind of start to see women falling, like women artists falling off. Because when you start going to the theater, but backstage, or when you mm-hmm. go to cafes, or to the folie, or when you go to brothels, one thing that Pollock makes clear in this article is that a working woman is not considered a woman. No. At this time. If she has a job, if she is outside of her house, if she is performing duties that are not, quote, seemly, then she is not really a woman. She's not a lady. She's not a lady. She might still be a woman, but she's not necessarily a lady. It's when you start doing things out... Because you, you you know, because you could... You could kind of have a job, and that could kind of be acceptable, kind of, except for once you start trying to enter the space of man. Yeah. A seamstress is one thing. A sex worker is a completely different beast. Yes. There was, there's a quote by one artist in this article of the time, and she's saying, like, how masquerades were really great spaces to go for ladies because that's where you can disguise yourself but still like be able to engage in the society the this this public society public space in a way that you can't do without covering your face without people knowing who you are at the same time this article does not mention and uh, kind of overlooks how unfair all of this is for the sex workers at the time. Absolutely. How these women who are doing their jobs, essentially, are sure like living, being able to have much wider realm of life than the ladies, quote, quote, but they're still essentially not respected even a little bit they're only there for the enjoyment of the men and they don't have identities in themselves like they're they're not this is not a woman this is an object a thing that i will take to my room that i can use and take around and uh, go out uh, to take them to a restaurant and give them money and they'll they'll repay me for what i'm giving them and <laughs> <laughs> that that's just also a very fucked up thing at yeah. the same time. That, well, that- I mean, and and I'll even bring it into a modern context. We still have like people who firmly believe that if you are somewhat loose in mm-hmm. your sexuality or confident in your ability to provide for yourself, 
or if you demand equality from your partner, yeah, then you're essentially like unwifeable. Essentially, yeah. um, I mean, like uh, the "Without You" song, where it's like, "So there you go, oh, can't make a wife out of a hoe." Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Excuse you. <laughs> Excuse you. And and it's funny when you think about it impassively or as like a ha, like as a, oh God, not a ha ha funny, but like a sweet Jesus why funny. <laughs> um, because it creates this bizarre dichotomy. It's It's not even necessarily a class thing. It is largely a class thing. It's, but it's largely not, a class thing. <laughs> it's not exclusively a class thing. Well, because if you're a, a, a bourgeois male, you can operate in any of these spaces, especially in a modern Paris, because that it was that was the whole point. Is all of a sudden you no longer had to worry about your reputation because you were able to, as long as you were respectable about it and as long as you did things within the confines of your you could be you could cheat on your wife just you had to make sure that it wasn't with somebody who would like embarrass your wife type thing you could you could be gay as long as you weren't caught being gay yeah you could be a gambler you could have a drinking problem you could go to these um houses of ill repute as long as you understood that you were better than them yeah. <laughs> so you're continuing to dehumanize. And again, it's just because that was the context of the framework that was built for this kind of individual. Yes. Sorry. It just it no. gets me so angry because it ruins the identity. Uh, it ruins the concept of the authentic self, which is what capitalism does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the enemy appears. It is yes. capitalism. Our arch nemesis. <laughs> My, our sworn enemy. <laughs> yeah. But we've never had sex before in our lives, Elena, so we'll no, never, never understand. No, never. Never, never. never. No. no. And we um, had our we had our gentleman's permission to, to be running this podcast. Of course. Of course. Of course. Our husbands. <laughs> of course, of course. Please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. Night but bitch. it's fine. But um what what Pollock also gets into is how women represent the spaces that are outside of the private realm, specifically Bertha and uh Mary, in the sense that they both do paint like landscapes. They do paint uh, outside uh, scenes, they always have to be superimposed, or uh, they have to be in a way done in a way where it's ladylike, essentially. Of so course. there has to be like figures in it. In, for example, uh, Bertha Morisot's on the balcony, you see this um, this landscape of Paris, but what? your gaze really is directed at is the woman and the child looking at this landscape because there has to be something happening. You can't just paint the landscape because then it's scandalous. You have to put something else to kind of distract from it. And same with uh, Morisot's uh, The Harbor at Lorient. 
Mm-hmm. That one is essentially it's a landscape. It just has a lady on the side, but it didn't have the lady on the side. People would freak out, and a proper lady at that, a well dressed, <laughs> completely covered, yes, very very proper woman <laughs> <laughs> with a little umbrella and everything and everything. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what what Pollock does say. And I like that she points this out, is that it's not per se that Morisot and Cassatt were really operating in this sphere of thought that we're op- operating in. That they might have just been doing what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, and trying to be a part of the Impressionists in any way they could without really kind of f- fixating on the facts of the spaces they weren't allowed to be in or the spaces they that were uh, acceptable to depict in their work because let's also think about the fact that they are wealthy white women exactly so you know they can only do so much without ruining their own reputations even if they don't like explicitly exploring that in their work they also understood what was expected of them and what they were raised to believe and what they were raised to in like internalize and and I understand, like, the concept of internalized misogyny is something that is, like, a, a contemporary word for it. Yeah. But there is a little bit of that. And and regardless of the fact that, like, you can't criticize 19th century women for perpetuating their own, like, dehumanization, they're doing the best that they can as yeah. female artists in a time in which that was already taboo. Yes, they they wanted to create a space for themselves. It's it's why we're using a contemporary context to frame this. It's not it's not putting a new standard on it. It's not demanding that all of the work be interpreted this way. It's just creating a new structure to interpret it this way. Yeah. It's theory. <laughs> it's theory <laughs> basically. <laughs> and it's bringing uh. more context into like what we understand as very common pitfalls because it is something that we continue to see in our contemporary context. Yes. And realistically, the painters of this group are positioned differently when it comes to the concept of social mobility and the way that they were allowed to look, the way that they were allowed to exist in their public versus private spaces is something that as artists becomes second nature. Yeah. And so um it's it's something that like I think you frame it really well and also the way that um Pollock frames it, the practice of painting that these paintings are documents. Yeah. And that they reflect and express this dichotomy um and that the practice of painting is like where you can start to see sexual difference. And that yeah. women are so often denied the the status of author and creator. They aren't really allowed to be celebrated because they're not individualized. We get it in more modern in in we get it in more contemporary contexts well, because we're well, kind of ish ish. Not not nearly to the same degree, but no. but as we move through time and as we start to see the rise of women in public spaces with authority and integrity and with autonomy 
you start to go, oh, well, okay, maybe, maybe this woman does have something to, to contribute to society. What? Maybe it's no. not just two women talking into the void about not art history. Maybe there is something behind it. I, there's, <laughs> it's, it's that when you exist in a structure in which you wish to support yourself, you will fall in line because you have to. Yes. Unless you are privileged enough to exist outside of that societal expectation. However, that means you have other privileges that then continue to separate you from this frame. A wealthy white woman will never really understand what it means to be a mother who has to support her family. You know? Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's different. There are different stresses and there are different expectations. And we saw this with Basquiat. When you're comfortable, you create different work. When we you're. Haven't, we haven't talked about Basquiat yet. Oh, is this not coming up before then? Oh, uh, well? maybe. Yeah, yeah, right after. Never mind. <laughs> the problem with the way that we are currently doing episodes to get ready for summer. God damn. <laughs> Any whistlebees. The, the problem is when you have a hunger and a need and a desire versus when you are just trying to create a livelihood, when you're trying to establish yourself. Um, survival versus establishment. Day-to-day yeah. -day versus legacy. This all ties into it. And for the longest time, and especially in the formation of the modern era, quote-unquote modern era, your, your turn of the 19th century, your rise of individualism, your egalitaire, you know, your, your, your freedoms, your, your autonomy, your individualism, your right to capitalism. That was established by white European men, by wealthy white European men. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> heteronormativity ruins the day. Again. <laughs> but going back to some of the stuff Pollock argued mm -hmm. in, a rela in relation to private spaces, she points out that these private spaces are depicted even differently by men and by women at the time. Yes. Uh, and this kind of reminds me of our... Uh, French Academy, uh, of the French Academy in general, um, and our episode about it, go listen to it. <laughs> um, it's very good. How basically the French Academy came up with these genres that were like end-all, be-all, and if you draw outside of these genres, then you're not really worth the time. Yeah. And how the lesser, quote, lesser uh, genres like the genre painting and, uh, maybe even still life were more feminine ways of depiction of mm -hmm. ways of painting and specifically genre painting and this private sphere painting in this time. Men and women do it completely differently. Women do it because it's the only thing they know. And then Cassatt and Morisot's uh, cases, they usually use subjects like their friends or their relatives in their private sphere, pri private uh, sphere paintings, 
and to kind of bring this life into it and to make it a bit more personal and to give it more personality. While for men, it's for other reasons that they're creating these private, th- these uh, paintings that depict private domains and private spaces. For them, it's either a commission, it's either a celebration of a formal occasion, or even an exercise in open air painting. And these differences really show how these spaces are valued. So men see these spaces made for women, so therefore therefore they don't want to go into it out of the fear of being feminine or at the fear of infringing on uh, the women's spaces. Well, I guess that that is more or less. <laughs> but then... <laughs> well, because, you know, when you're... Say you're in someone's home, that's someone's wife. Or that's someone's yeah. daughter. But when you're out in public... She's just asking for it. I mean, she's outside. She's 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 at the theater. Come on, I see her. So she didn't. She's she's not telling me to not. So <laughs> clearly, <laughs> well, she she might be telling me to not, but also she's out here. So, but as long as she doesn't leave, it's it's. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it it really it really is. And like when you are in a in a domestic scene with a lot of male artists, it, depending on like who it is and what it's for, you get a lot more um, intimate scenes from male artists than say, um, is it Degas? There might be a Degas. Hold on, there's there's one painting that I saw the other day that I had to laugh because I forgot about it. Um, and I'm going to start describing it to to kill some time before we uh we tie the deuce. But like, um, when you when you're looking at what's important to certain artists and what like define what demands being what's it called uh captured on mm. painting, you are still looking at it through different contexts, and you're still looking at it through this concept of the voyeuristic gaze you're still thinking about it as a class distinction you're still thinking about it as uh something that's meant to excite and something that's meant to uh classify a larger vision rather than the individual sitting in front of you yeah if we're myth building paris we can also myth build the concept of femininity and when femininity is something that can be given and taken away from you, and masculinity being something that you have to earn, you'll never see it for what it is, which is a class struggle. It's a class struggle. That was a class struggle defined by the the boundaries of capitalism. <laughs> uh, and as and as as Pollock puts it. And as we put it, when we scream into the void, hmm. it hasn't gone away. No. In this postmodern contemporary setting, as cities become more of more and more, uh, and cities and the internet become a place of strangers and spectacle. The internet brings a whole new <laughs> dice into the game. It's crazy. While still also focusing on woman being something that is objectified 
Yeah. Woman, the feminine as object and masculine as individual. And while it's not just women, this concept of the feminine still being violently, like vulnerable to the most violent of assaults and are denied the right to be safe in cities. It has everything to do with what was dis- established by a 19th century Paris. Yeah. Anyway, we live in a society. We live in a society. Elena, thank you so much for doing this episode with me. <laughs> thank you too, Stephanie. Obviously, this isn't the end of conversations like this. We can get heated again and again and again. And we will. Because it is the the need for th- for gendered theory is important. Because even this article, granted written in 88, uh, this book is still very man versus woman or man and woman gender yeah. one and gender two and she does a really good job of trying to pull away from that but for the simplicity of already just trying to break down the concept of heteronormative straight uh heteronormative cis culture it gets a little blurrier when you start to pull away from the fact that like it's not just women who suffer through this is if you if you challenge the mold made by capitalism, you are essentially a pariah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just it's not just the concept of the rich white person. It also has to be a male and it also has to be at least heteronormative or at least able to put up like you know, there's and then the high class as well. Or yes, you can only you can only afford so much respect. Because you can only pay for so much respect, and if you're, yes. and then it bleeds into everything. It's the only trickle down <laughs> economics we've got, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Sexism. Yeah. Uh, God. Anyways. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Uh, just that a lot of things have changed, but at the same time, there's still a lot that needs to change. Today we were talking about. Um, how women turn on women, specifically in, in Georgia, how people who come out with rape allegations, specifically women who come out with rape allegations, uh, against a man, how the main people who are against them and are the most vocal are women, and how this is so sad because we are conditioned to think in a sense of fear and in a sense of uh, only providing or helping ourselves. So uh, us kind of women coming out and uh, like dragging the person who was raped through the mud, those are the women that were actually put into that position by the society with with time by this fear of uh going against the man and uh because going against the man will either get you killed, beaten or taken away from your children or any of the bad things that can happen. So in preserving ourselves, we fight against our own kind, our own sisters to preserve our own lives and our own makeshift stability that we have around ourselves and how that can only be gotten rid of by deconstructing who 
we are and who we, quote, serve and why, and just asking and digging deeper and coming to these pasts that we've just talked about, these these sexist traditions and uh, histories that kind of dominate all of human human history in general. And it's hard to step away from that and to un- unravel that, but it is necessary. Yeah, it's, it, it needs to be done. Otherwise, we'll just keep going backwards. We have no enemies except for the enemy that is society. Yes, indeed. <gasps> ah. It's it's fun, TM. For more yelling about the the dangers of capitalism, uh, trying to find autonomy as women on the internet, uh, <laughs> updates, newsletters, transcripts, blog posts, and more. Head on over to our website at bywrpod.com. You can also find us on Instagram at bywrpod. Or on Twitter at BYWArtPod. You can also email us at BYWRPod at gmail.com. And of course, you can check us out on Patreon. Our Patreon is the best way to support us if you like the work that we're doing here at BiWAP. Come say hi. It's the same handle as everything else. Everything <laughs> is BiWAP. Forever yes. we are BiWAP. Wash your hands. BiWartPod. <laughs> BiWartPod. BiWartPod. By Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Please be safe, sane, and consensual in these big worlds. It's a scary place out there, and we're doing the best we can in these troubling times. (gasps) Yes. Denounce uh, capitalism. God, please. Remember, (laughs) when in doubt, titty out. Lovely. In a sexual way. Yes. Today it's a sexual way. It's not an art history way. It's a sexual (laughs) way. Titty out, motherfuckers. Make it not nude. God, naked, not nude. That's actually a good idea for merch. Write it down, write it down, write it down. down. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. (laughs) Bye.